You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Brand Engagement and Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. Today we're going to be discussing the current and future state of media, journalism and publishing. A big subject, so I'm very pleased that joining me to offer his expert insight is Jared Dicker, VP Commercial at The Washington Post. I'd love to hear about your role at The Washington Post and and what your sort of current priorities and challenges are for the publication. So at The Washington Post, I oversee the commercial business. And it's interesting. I actually am a rebounder of The Washington Post. I used to work here back in 2015. I joined to build out the R&D group and kind of focus on innovation, even though everyone knows that's kind of a BS type term. (laughs) But I always liked it because I felt that innovation as a title really allowed you to be extremely flexible when you saw opportunities or wanted to kind of butt your nose in different areas. People people are usually very welcoming of uh, the team that focuses on innovation. So that's what I did my first round here. I focused on R&D and new opportunities where we could grow our business and both on the Washington Post and off the Washington Post. But I, but I came back in the beginning of 2019 for the purpose of really thinking about how we could start to cohesively think about our business at the post. I was successful in my prior run thinking about how we could disrupt ourselves and build new opportunities across a lot of different revenue streams and across our newsroom. But we felt, you know, kind of like the company, which is incredible, the company felt that we should be doing that on a higher scale, that it shouldn't just be relegated to a pocket of our organization, how we think about disruption and new product thinking and new opportunities. That should actually be something that channels itself through all of our different groups and throughout the organization at large. When you think about the business of media, everyone has chief commercial officers or commercial teams, and usually everything kind of rolls up within there. And we didn't have that here. So I said, look, like, why don't we call it the commercial group? Within the commercial group, there's R&D, there's business strategy, there's advertising, there's, there's subscription strategy, there's new product innovation, there's new ventures. But all in all, we're focusing on the overall business of the post and commercially how we could grow ourselves both on and off. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an area that I'd love to explore a bit more, this idea of, you know, a traditional media business going into new areas. Where, where do you start with that? I mean, you have a huge remit by the sounds of it. You know, you can, <laughs> you know, driving commercial success in any, any which way. So where do you, where do you start? Where, where were you looking when you, when you rejoined to, to sort of expand into? Yeah, it's a great question because I think it's something that's constantly changing. Coming in, coming into it even two years ago, the idea of what was innovative has changed. And I think there's I think there's kind of two, there's like two things to constantly look at, which is very hard because you kind of want to look straight ahead, but your eyes kind of have to diverge. And one is what's innovative within my capacity that I can do at the company I'm at. So it's funny, you know, WAPO, because we're owned by Jeff Bezos and because we've made such a strong investment in both talent and financially and being a software company, our innovation remains 
partially in software, right? Like we are doing amazing things on the journalism side, but also in parallel, we are effectively one of the best, you know, kind of software driven tech companies in media. And we've proven that through two different, two, for, through two different businesses. We have a software as a service business in our publishing where we license content management software and workflow management software at an enterprise SaaS level to now well over 1500 clients globally. And we do it on the ad tech and data side too, where we're creating a new marketplace. We're creating new advertising framework and rendering engines through another business that we call Zeus Technology. So our, our innovation is kind of set out for us and we need to continuously kind of invent ourselves there. And that remains pretty clear. But looking out of kind of my other eye and things that I think are very interesting and opportunities that an industry level where we play or not play or but should be cognizant of is kind of what's happening in the talent relationship with media companies. The idea of where like reputation starts to lie, the idea of how you start to attract and maintain talent, how you monetize that talent and what that looks like both from a challenger platform point of view and what that looks like from a incumbent media company point of view and how you know we we as an industry could th- start thinking about how we play there so i think like the most the most important thing from a bottom line like to answer your question commercially is like we need to come up with things that are going to make the company money and the things that make the company money right now are tied to our journalism and the content we create and also the technology that we license but we kind of have to be thinking ahead about what that looks like, both from a WAPO proper point of view and also from a software point of view, as we look at challenging brands and challenging business models and kind of where we where we fit there. Yeah, I mean, that's to go back to this idea of sort of reputation and, and you know, individual journalists empowering their brands. I think obviously the the big story, you know, certainly in the in the media business press at the moment is obviously the kind of challenge from brands and platforms like Substack where you know you're you're finding a lot of name writers are leaving their umbrella companies to go solo on Substack and reach audiences directly via their inboxes and monetize that and there's been some very successful people doing that you know Glenn Greenwald and so on and, and mm-hmm. Andrew Sullivan you know if if you believe the hype this is a threat to to companies like the washington post but it seems to me the optimistic there's an optimistic perspective you can take which is that there is no reason why a legacy company can't do the same sort of things in terms of building out more strength via individual writers and their personal brands is that is that something that you're you're looking at there are there are so many there are so many conversations happening around this that I think are all important and equally deserve the same attention, which will probably become a five-hour podcast. <laughs> but I'll try to kind of digest the ones that I think are most interesting. I mean, one is, yes, like there is an attraction and a desire from particular creators, especially in the media space, to start thinking about what it looks like building a business around their individual self. And that has essentially been accelerated because of what's happened on the social platforms, right? What I would say is the ones that we know 
and they like we could count them on two hands, I'd say are the exception to the rule. Because when you go and create your own individual brand, you're doing everything other than what you traditionally would have done, which is creating content. You're now thinking about how you do audience development, how you monetize, how you do distribution, and many of which, and I know this because I've worked in media companies for a long time, many of which isn't part of the training or education process for people within a newsroom, right? So unless you're seeking that out, you're not necessarily being given that sort of information. So when you're going into this new terrain, there's a huge learning curve where you now have to say, okay, I have to figure all of this out because my business depends on it. Now, on the flip side, I'm most bullish on the creator economy as it relates to operators building individual brands around themselves, right? Like there are, you know, the Ben Thompsons or Jacob Donnelly at a media operator or what Nathan Bashaw is doing at Everyday Bun- or, or at Everything Bundle and a bunch of, and Webb Smith at 2 p.m. where people understand a particular business or a trade. They understand how to grow audience. They understand distribution. And they're effectively saying, I'm going to build a business around myself and I'm going to create content around this expertise. So those, I think we're going to see more and more as being the ones that are building brands around themselves, building businesses around themselves. And we'll see a lot of acceleration there. To round it out, when we, when like, and you make a great point, right? It's like, yes, there's a lot of emphasis on what's happening in the individual creator space, but media companies have an opportunity as well to really position themselves to effectively own this space. And that's where I think is, is, is the biggest opportunity for media companies with the less with, with the least amount of risk. And it's because media companies are already doing things that benefit creators and would be attractive to creators to remain within those organizations. They're just not putting the spotlight on them. So in the past, you would work at a media company because it would help grow your reputation and you would have a byline and you were lucky to work for that brand or it would give you access and it would kind of help you start to build your individual value. Now, right, that is still true, but individuals can build their own reputation and their own voice and their own audience on other platforms with a low barrier to entry. So that's not effectively the the main value proposition. But media companies also give creative support or, or creative support. So edit, like editors, designers, graphics, fact checkers, they give creative comfort. So libel insurance or health insurance or things that essentially allow you to focus on what you want to be doing without having to worry about all of these other things. And I think media companies just kind of have to shift that value spotlight from, you know, Creators are lucky to work for us because, you know, we're, we're an established brand and there's value there. Two, creators should come work for us because they get all of these benefits when they work for a media company and they could still grow their reputation and they could still extend individually. And that's where I think a media company like, you know, a Vox or a Washington Post or a New York Times can do that way quicker right, then Substack can, because Substack is going to have to figure out all of those creator benefits and support and operations and whether or not they really want to be that umbrella media brand to provide all of those things to individual creators, where media companies already do that, 
They just need to put a spotlight on that value and then figure out, okay, how do we start to encroach deeper on things that would make people who want to go independent be more interested in work at a media company? But I don't think we've seen, I don't think at this point we've seen enough of enough of a movement of individuals leaving media companies at the scale that would actually kind of like spark a serious conversation as to like, do media companies matter? I think media companies are still maintaining that. I think what's really interesting is a lot of people leaving media companies to go independent. There's a concentration on the media companies that they're leaving from, right? They're not leaving from the post or the times or the journal, right? They're leaving from a lot of the digital upstarts, right? That are shifting, shifting their strategies and focus. It, it sort of reminds me of where we were 10 years ago with the music industry, where, you know, you had, Radiohead suddenly leaving EMI and selling their music directly to fans. And there was this sort of promise that, that any artist could do that. And actually it turned out that it was a lot harder for anyone who wasn't Radiohead and didn't come from, you know, success already to actually, to actually do that. And I, I know that, you know, you've written, you, you wrote a really interesting post on Medium uh, recently, and, and you've been tweeting about this as well recently, this idea of, of learning from the music industry and what 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 media can learn from the music industry in terms of you know innovating in 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 new ways i'd i'd love to sort of hear a bit more about your thoughts on that yeah it's my favorite it's my favorite topic because i'm such a wannabe rock star who sucks at <laughs> who sucks at every instrument so it's the closest thing it's the closest thing that i'm getting to the music industry lately and 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 like by way of by way of history what's interesting is i actually started my career in the music industry, I wrote for Relics Magazine and had my own blog and always deeply wanted to be in that in that beat and interviewed a lot of a lot of musicians faking it till I was making it and then ended up ended up here. But I always love to kind of bring back that sort of passion to how I think about any area of business. And in media, there's been so many things to I won't say synergies because like, yes, there's synergies, but there's so many things to learn but also be inspired by by how the music industry works and what's been valuable and what's been you know invaluable. My most recent thing that I wrote around like ties to the music industry is really around this idea of enabling subculture fandom, which I've been obsessed with. So I'm a big fan of the band Fish and I also like the Grateful Dead and anyone who's jumped into those like cultures and subcultures understands that those companies have been or, or those bands but you could even look at them as like enterprises have built an environment where they're not just enabling fandom and a relationship directly with their fans but they exponentially have built an entire ecosystem outside of that where you have people who like the band fish or the grateful dead building commerce and products and business and livelihoods on top of the brand itself without the brand participation whatsoever but it's like essentially the brand becomes a platform right it becomes so big and there's such a close tie to their fans and their customers where they start to take it to another level and start to create identities and values themselves and that's something that's very prevalent in the music industry that it hasn't necessarily moved to media and i think that it could right like not to say i endorse this and like unfortunately we have to say this every time when we talk about barstool but it's like barstool sports has kind of created that sort of environment where you have people who have kind of built identity and business and commerce on top of the brand without the brand trump 
is a great example of that. Howard Stern is an example of that, where you have kind of these brands that have built themselves up so much so that they become a platform. And that's where I also think a lot of opportunity lies. News is always like an interesting one to answer when they're like, well, like, what does it mean for ethics and what does it mean for brand? But I think the New York Times is is showcasing pretty interesting stuff there. But that, but like, that's where I kind of see a lot of, a lot of follow the leader approach to the music industry. One of which is like, how do record labels work with their talent and what can media learn from that? The second is essentially like what independent artists are the ones that could likely do this on their own and what are the benefits for those that can't and how do you start to position in that sort of way, whether that's creating new entities or living within the media environment itself. And then how do you really start to encourage this next level relationship with an audience where you effectively make your fans creators. One of the interesting things, or one of the most incredible things that we're seeing when we, when we write about media and culture at Stylus is this new generation, you know, the, the Gen Zs, the, the TikTok generation, who, for whom creation is a, is a kind of given, you know, creativity is, is their brand and they are building you know, their own platforms, whether that's collab, collab houses, you know, or, or whether it's just creating TikTok cults around their own um, sensibilities. There is, it seems to be a necessity now for any media brand to embrace a co-collaboration kind of sensibility. How does that work with something like the Washington Post, where it has been a kind of gatekeeper of news that you, you know, you, we, we give you the news, you consume it, and then we do the same thing tomorrow. That doesn't seem to be the way that this generation works. I do think I do think now more than ever, right, media organizations are paying attention to how content is created, news is reported, things are happening across a broader landscape. I don't know if Washington Post or New York Times or the Wall Street Journal are going to be the ones that 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 break the value proposition in order to start testing that. I think there's a lot of tests of things happening on the side, but I do believe, I mean, and I think it's clear that you could look at the Voxes, you could look at, you know, the BuzzFeeds and others that are really thinking about how to tether closer to the creator economy, how to benefit from emerging stars and leverage their connection in order to help grow that. And one thing that I'll end on that is a thought that it's been running through my head as it relates to this is that media companies aren't the gatekeepers of distribution anymore right and that is has been has been true since facebook has emerged and and google has emerged and tiktok and other platforms have emerged and that is absolutely true anyone could create anyone could distribute however the relationships that media companies have with these platforms are very deep Right. And I think that we'll see media companies, especially the newer ones that are very creator focused and distribution focused, start to leverage that. Meaning if you're an up and coming creator and if you are going to go out and do things on your own, there's a lot of barriers to entry there. And yes, you can do it. But if you go to a Vox and if Vox already has a pre-existing relationship with a Facebook or a Twitter or a TikTok that allows for further distribution beyond what you could do on your own. I don't know why media companies wouldn't start highlighting that for their creators and saying, we could help drive that. We could facilitate that. We have these relationships. And yes, here's all the things that you could do on your own, but on top of a salary and benefits and all of these different things, we're also going to increase your possible reach from the get-go by 10X or by 20X, or I'm making these numbers up. But I think we'll start to see combos there. Again, I think news is exempt because I don't think it's necessarily in line with 
the core strategy, even though there'll be experiments there. But I do think the Buzzfeeds, the HuffPosts, the you know Vice, Vox, like all these companies should should really start to be thinking about that because I think that's where a huge opportunity is to attract that talent that could be creating elsewhere. I, I ask three final quick fire questions to my guests. Let's do it. If you have time. So the first one is if you had a million dollars, where would you invest it right now? I'm very, I'm very interested in investing in people. I think there's a lot of conversations around how to invest deeper in creators. I think we see these individual creators like Mr. Beast, you know, becoming their own media companies. And I think we're going to start to see an opportunity to invest in those sort of projects or invest in companies that are tied to that project. So I think you'll start to see a lot of VCs or other investors starting to look directly at individuals who are building platforms and building audiences around themselves. Um, the second question is, what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet? I think the creator economy is growing in spite of the consumer. I think no one has really thought about the consumer experience at all. I think you see that with Substack right now. I subscribe to all these newsletters. They're coming to my inbox. All of the onus has now been put on me. Before I'd go to a, I'd go to a media property and there's a homepage, there's a digest. I could set my settings. It's like beautifully laid out for me as a consumer experience. In the creator economy, we're putting all of that effort and onus on individuals. And that's a lot for the consumer. The consumer no longer has a portal or a way to be able to consume this content in a meaningful way. So creator economy growing in spite of the consumer experience. And that's where I think a big opportunity is for people to start to focus on as people are making decisions on their own and there may not be curation for the benefit of an individual, but the individual now becomes the curator. What are the tools that allow that individual to actually do that seamlessly? The final question is, which individuals or brands do you look to for inspiration in your work? I love looking at what individual creators are doing. So like what Mr. Beast is doing remains very interesting. What Pomp, Anthony Popliano and Crypto is doing is interesting to watch, right? I think like, again, I think these are exceptions and I don't think, I don't think the future of media is tethered to the work that's happening with these individual creators, but I think it's something that we all need to pay attention to and 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 start to lean on. I think I'm following a lot of news organizations. I mean, we've seen a heavy revitalization in the news industry and news brands and the importance of those news brands and the businesses around it. I've been looking a lot at the fashion industry. So I've been thinking similarly to like media companies as record labels. I think you could similarly think of media companies as fashion and wholesale retail and where those opportunities start to lie. And I'm looking at a lot, I'm reading a lot of like old, old articles and HBR and so forth about the fashion industry, especially the high fashion industry and how those executives have positioned themselves and marketed themselves back then. I think there's a lot of applicable things there. But again, for me, it's really, it's really like trying to get inspired by how other industries think and how to kind of bring that logic back. And for me personally, because I'm hyper obsessed with music, I found that being able to research and see what's happening in that industry has allowed me to kind of bring back some unique perspectives on like how we should be thinking about it. But I'd say like the biggest takeaway is like, if you're looking to be inspired and bring innovation to your particular line of work, look outside of that line of work, like pull, pull inspiration from a lot of other things because everyone else is, you know, pretty, pretty tunnel, tunnel, tunnel visioned on, you know, 
the obvious and it's like, well, what's the not obvious and how do you bring the not obvious, you know, into, into your line of work? Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me. That was a really fascinating conversation. I'd like to thank my guest, Jared Dicker, and thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 